If you're tired of bad news, if you need some positivity, if you want to support small businesses, then welcome to Happy Grateful Blessed with Kaysville's own mayor, Tammy Tran. Here, you'll get to see the best of humanity from within Utah's hidden gem, Kaysville City. Every month, you'll discover small businesses, hear unique and incredible stories, and understand the difference you make in this wonderful city. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you'll never miss a chance to find a new business to support and learn what makes a city like this one work as well as it does. So join us as we explore Happy Grateful Blessed with Tammy Tran. Today I'm here with my friend Allie Isom. She's a Kaysville resident. She's also a business and community leader and a candidate for U.S. Senate. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to be here, Mayor. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate you. You are fantastic. You were so wonderful and supportive when I was running for mayor. I was so thrilled to see you win. Well, thank it's a delight. you. Thank you for serving our community. I know well, you're making a big difference already. Well, thank you. And you've also served our community. Yes. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that. You served as a city council member. I was on the city council briefly, not nearly long enough, but it was a great experience. And I just, I love Kaysville. Well, Kaysville loves you, Allie. You've done so many great things. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on my little podcast was my husband was at Orange Theory uh, working out, talking to one of your neighbors. And he came home and he said, Tammy, I cannot believe what Allie's doing. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, she has a family from the Ukraine staying with her. Yes, we do. And she's not talking about it. And I said, (laughs) really? She's really doing that in the middle of a campaign? And he said, yes. So would you like to talk about that? Sure, I'm happy to. I'm happy to. I mean, who in their right mind runs for federal office in the first place? But, True. But right in the middle of it, it it seemed illogical on so many fronts, but undeniably crucial that we do it. Um, this family is a, our family friends. My son met them when he served his mission for our faith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in 2015. And we went back to visit his where he served his mission and met them. And they were incredibly generous and so kind. And and life is hard there, it very is. hard. And we just said, if you're ever in the United States, you must come and see us and stay with us. And as Russia was building up their armaments on the border, Jace, our son, said to me, they are getting nervous about an invasion because Vladimir Putin has shown us who he is. Mm-hmm. Right? He's in the past invaded Crimea uh, right before my son served his mission. and. And um, and we knew that their Russian aggression was likely. Uh, so this family got out just in time, found their way to the United States. We got a call one day. They were in California, and they were paying $3,000 a month for rent, and they weren't sure how to navigate the system. And I thought, this is ridiculous. We have an empty house. Our children are all raised. Our youngest is in college. You know, we've got bathrooms. We certainly have enough food storage. Come stay with us. You know, we don't know what this looks like. Mm -hmm. We don't know what will happen. So on Valentine's Day, my son and husband drove down to California and picked them up. And they came with one suitcase and four backpacks. And they have three three children, ages uh, two, seven, and 12. You're kidding. And um, That is incredible. So running a campaign with a a Ukrainian toddler screaming Mm -hmm. in Russian in the background (laughs) when... Campaign headquarters is your home right Mm -hmm. now. You know, we're bootstrapping it. And um, it's made for an adventure. That's for sure. But how could you not? How could you you say no when they have nowhere to go? Well, you, this story spoke to me so much. And and I know when I texted you, I said, 
my my husband was a refugee. Oh, I and didn't he, know that. he was. He came over when he was 12 from Vietnam and was sponsored by family. Mm. And so it just speaks to my heart so much, yes. our hearts, and the fact that you're so compassionate. Ali, you've oh, made really so kind. compassionate, kind decisions. In fact, I, I wasn't sure if it was actually true. And then I saw something, you were doing a campaign um, video or something, and you were doing it from your, your camper, I think, your yes, RV. I'm out, I'm out on the camp trailer <laughs> yeah. every once in a while when it's a little noisy in the house. Well, and I thought, oh, I bet it's true. Yes. I bet it's true. That's probably why she's sitting in her driveway in her RV recording yes. this, because you did have a house full of people, and it just spoke to us. So thank mm. you for doing that. Oh, it's so people nice. like you that make a difference in this world. Yeah. Um, I know that the family that actually eventually adopted my husband, but sponsored him, that's an incredible compassion. To open your house up to people it's been is, an honor, is, is a wonderful thing. They're delightful people. They're good people. And, you know, it's, it's such a good reminder when I'm in the middle of a campaign and life is a little harried and, and some things really don't matter. They're kind of superficial. This reminds me what matters. And it also reminds me not to take freedom for granted. Oh, yeah. They're calling home every day and checking on their family to make sure they're still alive. And some of them are hunkered down in apartments in Kiev that have been targeted. You know, neighboring apartments are destroyed. And they're in the basement in, on shelving with blankets and towels and rats and oh, the food gosh, they can gather and trying to stay alive. And goods and services are, have ground to a halt, you know, so it's hard to get food. And there is no transit. There's no public transit out of Kiev. The bridges have been destroyed. The trains aren't running. It's, it's incredibly dangerous for them. And the city where this family is from is named Jatomer, and uh, it was on fire. Uh, the whole town was on fire a few months ago. The maternity hospital where two of their children had been born wow. had just been ransacked and I, decimated is not the right word, just uh, bombed and shot up and bro everything broken down and you know, that was emotionally such a strong visual for them to see the place they had welcomed life destroyed. I, I can't even imagine. There's nothing to go home to. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what it would feel like to mm -hmm. really have nowhere to go. Yes. And, and to have no place to return to that's safe mm -hmm. for the unforeseeable future. I mean, yes. we don't know how long this will last, I guess, do we? So, no. no. Well, no. I just appreciate the fact that. You're a human being, you know, a <laughs> compassionate person in addition to everything else that you're accomplishing and this public figure of being a Senate candidate. And I was telling my husband, I'm just surprised that, I'm not surprised, actually, I'm very impressed with the fact that that's not something that I'm hearing in sound bites on the news. Well, you know, the, yeah. we forget the story of the person behind behind the figure. And and I appreciate the fact that you're you're genuine and wonderful. Yeah, well, I. I'm reticent to publicly exploit it in any way. I mean, I just, number one, I want to protect them. I'm sort of a mama bear when it comes to people I love. Um, and and it's just been so complicated to navigate the situation for them. And we wanted to make sure all the T's were crossed and the I's dotted and they're getting the help they need. And we very much wanted to make sure they feel supported. And, you know, I. I have worked in politics for a number of years, and I've seen political figures exploit tragedy mm -hmm. for political purpose. 
And I just think there's something immoral about that, unethical about that. So I'm happy to talk about it as part of my life circumstance right now. It is what it is. But, uh, you know, I so many other good humans are doing the very same thing right now in our state. There are people taking Ukrainian families in. And what what's more important is I feel like while we're we might be housing them and putting a roof over their head. Tammy, I have to tell you, our neighbors and our community has been amazing in putting their arms around them and helping them and seeing what they need. When I put out the call for help when they first arrived, I said, I just need a couple of twin mattresses, maybe a dresser. You know, we have a lot of things already in our home, but uh, there are a few things we could use. And suddenly, clothes by bags of clothes just started showing up and food. My cupboards are bursting are they? with food. Okay, they don't look like they normally do at all, but everything <laughs> is just so full of stuff right now. And um, and neighbors have taken them, you know, one of these generous neighbors bought them a lagoon pass, a family pass, and said they can't sit around. They need to have fun. They need to oh, laugh. Oh, that's fantastic. And Luda is hysterical, uh, the mother. She's terrified of heights, absolutely terrified. And her 12-year-old son videotaped her on one of the rides, her reaction of screaming and, and laughing and screaming louder. And, um, and the first day, she had 16,000 likes on her <laughs> TikTok. And <laughs> she, she started, they've started sharing more often when she gets her courage up to go on these bigger, harder rides. And I think they have such tremendous courage That's really... to have left everything. It's such a metaphor for what life can be thrilling and terrifying at the same at the time. Same time. You, that is so yes. perfect. You're right. Yes. And it's really neat that people come together and, and want them to have wonderful experiences amidst the terror mm -hmm. and, and the so. frightening situation that they're, that they're experiencing right now. Yes. Well, Ali, the other reason that I wanted to talk to you is because, to me, this is a perfect example of why why somebody would want to get into politics. Mm -hmm. So I know that you've been asked many questions over the last two years, because you've been hitting it hard, haven't you? It's been the last year. It's been as, hard work. Okay. We filed in July. I started. But I mean, before about that, about you early. were out there, yes. and I was watching you and just admiring how hard you're working. So this Thank speaks you. to your why. Would you like to elaborate a little bit more on that? On why I'm running? Mm -hmm. You know, um, you you will know this. You will understand it when you feel a sense of responsibility for your community and your future. And I want my country back. I don't feel like we're headed in the right direction at all. And on January 4th, 5th, and 6th of last year, three different women in our community, our larger community, reached out. Some of them would be names you would recognize. And they asked me to think about running for the Senate. And I've been asked to run for office before, and I've served in, on the city council, and I've worked for the governor as his deputy chief of staff, and I've helped in campaigns. I, have, I had no misunderstandings about what this meant. And, um, yeah. you know, in the past, I've always said, yeah, that's, that's really lovely and nice, but you have no idea what you're asking me to do. But this time, something felt really different about it. And I'm a spiritual person. And by day three, it was giving me pause. And uh, that was January 6th at 9.30 a.m. I hung up. And a couple of hours later, I watched our Capitol under attack. And everybody has a different lens that they look at that day. But I think it was transformational in many ways for our nation. And and for me, I, I sat in tears and watched what I consider to be um, maybe not hallowed, but pretty sacred in terms of the people's house and what it represents, uh, destroyed. And people died that day. And I thought, I, I want my country back. I want my party back. 
how did we get to this place when people feel so unseen and unheard that they resort to this? And not everybody there that day in Washington resorted to violence. And I won't even begin to excuse what happened that day. Those were thugs. Uh, and I'm not sure they were in, were capable of a coup, frankly, but they were um, beyond reason for me. I agree. But so many were in the square that day that didn't resort to violence, that still felt that somehow their voices were being canceled, their votes were being canceled. And as I've walked the state, I, I committed to walk in all 253 Utah cities and towns, and I've been to more than 120 of them so far, and it's been fantastic. But as I, I walk with local officials like you and everyday Utahns, business leaders, ranchers, farmers, teachers, parents, entrepreneurs, as I walk with them, so many people feel unseen and unheard You're right. and undervalued. And when that happens, emotional intensity rises. And when you get high emotional intensity, you can't solve any problems. You can't even talk to each other. That's true. And that's where our nation is. And I just feel like, first of all, we have to bring people to the table and listen to them so the intensity can come down so people feel seen and heard and valued. I, even if you disagree, you can still listen to people and understand them. And then I feel like when you're at the table, you can move forward when you start to honestly see the other people for their gifts and their objectives and what they bring to the table. And, and it felt like that's what's needed in our country. I, I'm not perfect at it, but I've built a career doing it. You have. And I think it's important. Well, and you're so good at it. In fact, I think it was yesterday I was reading an article in the Deseret News that someone had written about you and talking about what you bring uniquely to this race, your experience as being someone who is very collaborative and really good at communicating. I try to be. I try to be. I, so, I mean, that's what you're known for. I, I know mm -hmm. that that's your reputation here in Kaysville for sure. And the fact that you're willing to, to, to listen and to really let people be heard and be seen, because you're right, that's so frustrating for people. Yes. And I mean, at the end of the day, as a policymaker, you have to take a position and make a decision. But I, I actually enjoy the process of taking an issue and looking at it through all facets and seeing through all lenses how it affects the different stakeholders. And, and I do actually love that creative process. And some of my dearest friends, I couldn't disagree with them more when it comes to some politics. But there are some people I've worked with with whom I have such high regard as humans. And... When people equally value the process, I think we get to better outcomes. We can move things forward and find areas on which we disagree. And, you know, that's how you build communities. That's how you capture a vision. If we continue to fight, we stay stuck. It's true. And right now in this nation, the stakes are really high. And I just, I was, I just came from an economic briefing. I'm, I'm more worried than ever that we have to make some really critical decisions the hard decisions, because I feel that we've squandered the prosperity of the last 10 to 20 years. And there's a lot at, at stake right now that is in jeopardy. And it's going to be harder than ever for working families, especially. And yeah, I, uh, agree. I came from a family of, you know, we struggled. We started over again and again and again. Um, and my parents sacrificed tremendously and never really seemed to get ahead. And, uh, you know, I, I knew education was my way out of poverty, but those are my people, and um, and life's going to get even harder. It is. I mean, you're talking about the economy, mm -hmm. as I've been thinking about that, and just right now we're in the midst of budget meetings and trying to make budgetary decisions for the city. Mm 
And you're right, they're difficult, they're hard decisions. Especially with uncertainty, it, overlaying right. all of it. I mean, we're thinking, okay, do we, do we make big, hard decisions now, or do we postpone these hard decisions a year from now and hope that things get better? So as you're making hard decisions and you know exactly what you need to do when you get to D.C., how will I, one thing I think that you're really good at, in addition to other things, is messaging. So how, how do you message something like that when you have to make hard decisions that affect people's bottom line? Well, first, you have, to, you have to be open to all ways to communicate. And it's true when you have a public policy solution along the, uh, right, running right alongside the track of how the bill becomes a law, right? Just mm-hmm. the procedural pieces is the public communication track. Because you have to engage stakeholders. You have to engage those who have an interest in it. Uh, and I have a process that I use when I, when I don't have a prescribed outcome or I don't, you know, the answers aren't always easy in public policy. They're often pretty thorny and complex. So I have a process that I follow. And the first one is uh, people uh, put a face on it. What are their stories? What are their lived experiences? What are the data that tell their story? And that helps me know what needs to be communicated. And often it's fascinating, but if you talk to people, the solutions come out of them. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a, a, an innate marketer in some ways. And mm-hmm. in marketing, the answer to how you position a product is in the mind of the stakeholder. Uh, you just have to pull it out of them. You draw it out through good questions. So I always bring people in and put a face on it. And then the second guiding principle I use is principles. What are the what are the durable principles that get us to good solutions? Is it accountability and transparency? Or is it smaller government is best? You know, what are those principles that get us to good outcomes? And then third is public policy. What's going to endure beyond one administration? Good policy lasts. It's right. not executive orders that wildly swing and create uncertainty. It's, it's uh, you know, it's hard to plan as a community when, uh, you know, I talked to the, com- the communities down in southern Utah. When Bears Ears was declared you know, a national treasure, suddenly people had never heard about it show up. And because there was no management plan, it has been ransacked. It has, hasn't it? There were no roads. There were, there were no stewards in place. To, there were no processes. And then it was reversed. And, and the communities down there have just been uncertain and, and honestly, I think, exploited. They've been responsible for search and rescue, huge impact to their local communities with no support. That's terrible policy to swing it back and forth. Good policy lasts. And fourth is a process. Have all stakeholders been at the table? Because sometimes slow is fast. If you talk to them now, they'll, they'll, they'll be an ally in the process, an advocate in the process, rather than a wall you run headfirst into when you finally think you've got a solution. <laughs> yeah. And then last was politics. And I, so it's people, principles, policy, process, and politics. And when I keep things in that order, and we navigate it in that order, and we communicate about all of those pieces, you can get to good outcomes. And I, that's just a framework that I use when I think about any issue. I, I agree completely with you. And I love that the politics is the very last. last. By design. Mm-hmm. By it, design. Because it should be that way. Well, the politics fall into place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have said often to an elected official, you get reelected by governing. It's true. You do your job well, and you don't need to worry about an election. The minute you start worrying about an election, you've got your priorities backwards. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yes. I, and I've seen that happen. It, it does happen. And when they play the PR game, it's all shellac, right? It, it, it collapses on itself. When you have a good foundation, good things happen. Well, and sometimes you... that's not the gl- most glamorous or, <laughs> you know, showy. 
thing for a politician. They don't always love that, but it's the right thing. It is the right thing to do. I was going to say, you have a really great reputation in terms of Kaysville City staff that have known you and worked with you. Mm -hmm. I was talking to someone uh, earlier this week, and they were telling me, I, I asked them what it was like to work with you as a city council member. And this individual said, what I really respected about Ellie is she wanted data. She wanted facts. She doesn't make emotional decisions. Your decisions are based on processes like you just explained. Mm -hmm. And when you approach things from a process-oriented, very strategic way of thinking, then, then the emotion does get, you know, kind of ignored for a little bit so that you're able to focus on really what matters. Mm -hmm. and, and this individual just had very, um, quite a lot of good things to say yeah. about you in terms of how you make decisions and how you, how you govern. That's so nice. And so it's nice, nice. it's nice for me to be able to say, you know, here I am in Kaysville, cute little hometown, mm -hmm. and, and I know you and I know of you and I know what you can do. Thank you. And so it's it's impressive to me. Well, that means a lot coming from you. So well, I thank you. I, you. I appreciate it. And I just really appreciate the way that you've approached the campaign and your strategy for moving forward and the things that you want to do in terms of solving problems and, and hitting issues. Mm -hmm. Because you're right, it's got to be so collaborative. It does. It does. And communities like Kaysville, they are the why. And as I, as I walk with these local mayors, Tammy, like you, there's not one of them that's just saying, oh, my vision's for the next two to three years. Mayors think about 30 to 50 years out from now and what happens to their community. And you know it best. You know it best. So I see my role at the federal level is to give you tools and resources to solve your own problems at the local level because you're going to understand the problem in a unique and personal way. And you're going to see the faces that it affects. You, you'll know the people that it affects. So. I have such regard for those who serve at the local level. It's enormously hard when it's your neighbor. And <laughs> I couldn't go grocery shopping without somebody hitting me, um, you know, with some kind of policy question. And we'd, be, we'd end up in a really long conversation mm -hmm. at the grocery store when I think, oh, I just have 20 minutes. I'm going to run in and grab some <laughs> apples and milk and bread. And an hour and a half later, I come home with apples and milk and bread. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now you're behind and you've missed a bunch but of meetings. It, but it's... I mean, that's, it's the hard part, but it's the joyful part, too. You're right. And it's where the rubber meets the road. It's, mm -hmm. it's great to be able to think. But as I think about future leadership that I want to see in place, I mean, it's so nice knowing that you've served at a local level. So you do, as you're making these big, broad decisions, know how it affects cities and towns. Mm -hmm. Because the, best, the, the governance is, is best done when it's close to home. Absolutely. And, and I really appreciate that you would take that forward. Yeah, and keep that in mind. It, I actually really do believe it. <laughs> yeah, I, and yeah. I do too. Yeah. I do too. I appreciate everything that you're doing. Well, thank you. You've just, as I've watched you work hard. <laughs> yeah, you've worked hard. Ali, I don't know oh, how to do it any other way. My mama taught me better, right? You know, well, she you are a hard worker. And I know that when I was campaigning, that's what people would tell me is, yeah, it looks like you're working really hard. People respect that. We respect that for, on so many levels. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's not just something that you're taking for granted. Just assuming, well, because I did all of this work for the church and I did this work for the state, I'm a, I'm a shoe in. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has prepared you for what you're doing. But I really respect the fact that you're taking it seriously. Well, I care what the people of Utah understand and think about their elected officials. There's so much distrust in processes and institutions right now and actually distrust of with each other. I think COVID created such a disconnect a separation in our communities and we're we're still recovering we're healing from all of that 
So uh, I want people to know they matter. They really do. That's, that's the whole reason you run for office. If you're running for office for anything except for the people you serve, you're running for the wrong reasons. I, I agree. And, and that is so easy to, I guess, see through for voters. I hope so. I hope so, too. I hope they can see it. It's hard when um, it takes money to get your message out there. It does, doesn't it? It takes a lot of money. Oh, it takes so much money. uh, And we had no illusions getting into this, but, you know, uh, we knew we would not be the best funded candidate. Um, But that was the reality, even with so many social platforms out there. Political speech doesn't get played into the algorithms in the same way. It's so much harder now to go, you know, quote, viral than mm-hmm. it ever has been. It's so much harder to get grassroots word of mouth out there. It's so much more expensive. Um, and that's that's the disadvantage of a big old state. Like you, it's a big, beautiful it state. Is, There's a whole lot of square miles to cover. And we've been, like I mentioned, bootstrapped. We'll, we're doing our very best with what we've got and trying hard. And we've got some amazing volunteers out there. So I hope you towns take the time to get to know me and take a good look. I hope they do, too, because once they get to know you, they realize how genuine you are oh, and authentic. And, and that, to me, is just, that's the kind of leader that I want. Someone who won't forget where they've been, knows exactly where they want to go, yeah. and, and leads. Like you said, making those hard decisions and leading is what matters. We need good people right now, don't we? We do. We need good people. And I think we've got good people and, you know, people go in for the right reasons, but it's just remembering those reasons and bringing some fresh energy that I think makes such a difference. I I appreciate everything that you've done and that you're doing moving forward. I was going to ask you, what have you learned about yourself during this process? What have I learned about myself? Oh, that's a great, existential question. I have a personal silent retreat I do annually, and I have it scheduled for July 7th oh, after the primary. <laughs> Good. I run to the mountains, and I spend time with God, and I just think and read and sleep and eat when I'm hungry, walk in the woods a lot. Um, so I'm looking forward to that because I think it'll be interesting to look back on the year. Um, I have learned I, I like people a whole lot more than I thought I did. You know, you, you realize <laughs> when you get that. out there that, oh, meeting folks that, because politics is a different thing, right? I'm not just, I'm, I'm not just offering them a donut. You know, this is yeah, their lives. This is heavy stuff, right? So some people come loaded for bear. They are, they've prejudged, they've made up their mind, and they want a showdown. And for me, it's not about being right as much as it is about getting it right. I, I oh, see I my like role that. as a facilitator. And um, I've been surprised at the intensity of the emotion and the anger with some folks. Um, but I've also been surprised I've been able to stay calm. My 18-year-old high school debater self would have wanted to like <laughs> swing back and prove that I was right. Um, so I ha- I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the way I'm able to stay calm when people are yelling and realize it's not about me. It's, ne- it's not about me. It's about their lives and their frustration. And if you listen to people long enough, it subsides. It goes down. And I've also learned some days that there's just too much peopling for me. I might be a little more introverted than I understood about myself. Um, I knew my, my oldest daughter passed away in, uh, we're coming up on t- 10 years. And um, this community was amazing to us when that happened. I was working for the governor and it changes everything about your world. But imagine. with that, I sort of reformatted myself and I 
I found myself cocooning a whole lot more, right? And COVID, I, I sort of, I loved the COVID cocoon for a few months and then I got a little tired of it, but um, I'm probably more introverted than I thought I was. And I just, some days I need to take a deep breath and just be by myself and not have to talk to one other human <laughs> I understand being that. because you always have to be on. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of exhausting too. Cause I am, I do try to be me and show up as me wherever mm-hmm. I am. Um, and that takes a lot of energy, you know, I, but it is, I, you know, some days I'm super recharged by it and other days I'm just exhausted and I just have learned to be gentle with myself. This is a strange adventure. To it, be on. Yes, I and, bet. And I've never done it before like this, you know, like it's different when you're the candidate and oh, it's yeah. different at this level. Absolutely. Oh, at this level, that's so, what I yeah. am in awe over. Yeah, but it's a great, I mean, it's been fun. It's been hard. It's been exciting. It's been a roller coaster and one the same day you can be devastated one minute and so energized the next um, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and i realized okay it's all it's all okay at the end of the day the sun comes up we keep going you're right and um and just be kind to myself so i can recharge every once in a while your retreat sounds fascinating it is do you go by fascinating. yourself i do i do really? so i have cut here's how it started i cut eric's hair since college when we were broke you know and He's he's cheap and I'm cheap, so I learned to cut hair. I'm not good at it, but <laughs> but I've been cutting his hair. You know, we've been married 33 years now. So a couple of years ago, I was just sick of it because every time you want a haircut, it was it was Saturday night at 11:30. You know, mm, yeah, and I'm like, who does too. this? You know, hello, your barber, your stylist is on call. I mean, I was I sort of had it, so I said, okay, um, I will cut your hair for the next year, um, provided one thing. I want a three-day retreat. And he goes, okay, sure. I said, a three-day silent retreat. And he said, we're not going to talk. And I said, oh, no, there's no we. This, <laughs> this is, is your me. retreat. And he goes, that sounds awful. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, it sounds absolutely delightful. It sounds wonderful. Yeah. And I, I really, it's a spiritual journey for me. I'm very guided in the experience. And um, and now when I go, it's like coming home. Um the first year I went, I read three books. I journaled 50 pages. Really? And that's... I rent a little place. I'm not going to tell anybody okay, where it is because yes, I don't want competition. But yes. it's in the mountains and it has high ceilings and big windows and it's right by a creek. Um, and it's just a great time. And the first day I, I, um, I count my blessings the first day. The second day I inventory my insights. What have I learned last year? And then the third day I chart my course. Um, and I plan my next year and like, what Absolutely. is it that I want next awesome. year to look like? And, um, and like I said, like, that's all very, that's coming from a deeply spiritual place for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, it's delightful. And I come back a lot more centered and focused and, and I knew this year it might take me just a day to unwind. And so I booked it for four days. So I'm really excited. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds magical. It is. It's- Every year on my birthday, I've told my family, I just want to be by myself. <laughs> I, I can relate. <laughs> and my kids, you know, thought I was so mean and my husband thinks, you know, but that yeah. sounds wonderful. I'm I've been saying I want, ob- I want obedient children in a clean house for 30 years for 30 and years. it never comes. So t- time by myself sounds delightful. Oh, it sounds delightful. It yeah, sounds yeah. so balanced. It, yeah. And I really admire your approach. I mean, even in this personal time, it's very strategic. Yeah. And you have a process that you yeah. follow. I yeah, I think process matters. It, it, it absolutely does. Yeah. Allie, it's been really fun talking to you. Thanks, thank Tim. you. Thank Likewise. you for sharing your time with me. I know that you are so busy. No, so it's my pleasure I and an honor. It. And thank you for your service because there's so much that goes 
unseen and unheralded. And you know what it's like to have people intense and screaming and they're your neighbors. I mean, it's not just some guy in Vernal you can say goodbye and walk away and not have to wake up to. Like, (laughs) these are your neighbors. So God bless you for serving. I'm really grateful for all you're doing for our community. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's like, you know, it's a joy and a pleasure Mm -hmm. and a privilege and I'm grateful for it. So thank you so much, Ellie. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.